Hello, and welcome to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. In this 14th and final part of a series, Dorje Lopan Dr. Hanlai teaches about the songs of Milagrepa, the 11th century Tibetan saint who reached the ultimate state of awakening. The presentation of these profound songs is integrated with teachings on the Guru Yoga of Milarepa Sadhana in order to introduce a more contemplative and experience-based approach to practicing this liturgy. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, TibetanSpirit.com. To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person or look us up online at UdharmaNC.com. Thanks for listening. So now let's continue on to the next song. Which is how to remove hindrances and enhance the practice. Now, it's important that when you are listening to these songs and me trying to explain the songs, to remember that this is not some sort of fundamentalist approach to any of these things. The song was given extemporaneously to the person that needed it. You may or may not be that person. So if you're going to be like, you know, splicing details here, then you have wrapped yourself up in the thicket of views. Buddha tries always use that expression. But rather just... Why did we do that Milarepa practice before we started? So that we are in this space of being at ease. So whatever we hear that enhances our practice, we take. This is not the place to split hairs. Uh, When we study Madhyamaka class, if we do that, then it's time to split hairs to get as fine as possible, right? Because that's the approach. But here, it's not. And also realize that when he talks about more advanced things, he's not talking about solutions for preliminary meditations, which most of us are sort of there. Yeah, He's talking about such fine things that Can you note that the time it takes for me to snap this finger, 60 moments of emotion and thoughts have occurred. Can you see one moment of that? Probably not. So generally when the song progresses further down, it's getting to that level of subtlety. And so then you say, well, then why are we talking about it? Just to get some idea, then let it go. Because we're not there. Let it go. But getting some idea plants a seed, provides the bigger picture, even if the bigger picture is not crystal clear. The bigger picture is not going to be crystal clear. This is... This is redoing the whole internal system. If you think rewiring the electrical system in your house is complicated, if you think rewiring your computer is complicated, you think this is going to be simple? Why do we expect this to be simple? No. Are you going to get it? The moment you hear about it? Sometimes yes. Sometimes no. (laughs) Then you feel, oh, increasingly it's just no. (laughs) Sometimes you also feel like that. Milarepa says, let it go. It does go. That's the problem. Yeah, it does go. 
Yes. Let it go. Yeah, let it or not, it will go. Then what you hold on to is just your own kind of stuff about it. It is already passed. So, in the Ajahn Chah's advice, right, to the philosopher professor that wanted to get into all the ins and the outs with him. Uh, he said, Ma'am, you're like someone who raises chickens, but instead of collecting their eggs every morning, you go around collecting their droppings. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very carefully. Analyzing the droppings to see, you know, if the chicken is healthy or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you know how to use it, a fertilizer, then even droppings are useful. But probably in that case, no. They're not useful if you think they're eggs. Oh, yeah, exactly. Not useful at all if you think mistaking the droppings for the eggs. Exactly. Good. And then mistaking the eggs for the droppings. Right? So then, uh, what a waste. What a waste if we mistake the eggs for the droppings. What a waste <coughs> if we mistake the droppings for the eggs. Yikes. <laughs> It'll be like stir-frying it with tomatoes for your family lunch, you know. Then you better be a real Mahasiddha, a Buddha. <laughs> then it's all bliss. <laughs> it's all Dharmakaya. Yeah, whether it's you know tomato eggs or tomato droppings, it's all dharmakaya. The next song, how to remove hindrances and enhance uh, practice. So here Milarepa sings this song to this woman called Peldabum. Peldabum uh, turned up earlier the same, same name, and this was remember the, the the woman, the old woman. That was yelling at Milarepa. Um, and then, yeah, that cranky old lady. Uh, and then he said to him, you know, you have become an old nanny goat. <laughs> Isn't that the mother, mother of the maiden he's talking to yeah. um, this, this, the Peldabum, uh, the name turns up several times. Sometimes she seems to be old and sometimes she seems to be young. So, uh, yes, so then there, there's the explanation that this is like the younger daughter of, you know, the same family. Um, so they're probably related, right? And so here, listen, Lady Peldabum, faithful and wealthy maiden. If meditating with the example of the sky is as easy as you say. So here, let me give some background. Peldabum comes to Milarepa and says, give me instructions on meditation. Then Milarepa says, you should meditate hmm, by, hmm, you should meditate in a way that understands that clouds are just the sky's play. So just relax into the sky and let the clouds pass. Yeah? So he gave, so for each of these, that we, each of these uh, metaphors that we're going to see, uh, remember that Milarepa earlier in this encounter is giving her and say you should meditate in this way right? and you should meditate in this way and you should meditate in this way and then Peldabum uh, comes back later to say uh, yes I can do this yes I can do this yes I can do this yeah? do as you uh, advise then Milarepa comes back and say but if you think it is like that you have to watch out for this. You have to watch out for this, which is this last part. So first part was he gives her instructions on how to meditate uh, using these examples. Then she does it and then she comes back. Now she's more, she has some experience already. right? Then Milarepa is starting to warn her that on a more subtle level, these types of hindrances are going to arise. You have to watch out for them. So that is kind of the nature of how teachers, gurus were guiding their disciples, 
Not like one class like this, then we're going over all the subjects. It's really that kind of one-on-one you know, coaching or whatever you want to call it. Um, of course, you know, not that many Milarepas around, you know. <laughs> so, incredible merit. So, these days, right, we celebrate, you know, the advent of um, technology and how technology makes knowledge available to way, way more people. And so on that end, we're like, wow, this is really wonderful. But how many people actually achieve first Bhumi or second Bhumi? (laughs) Practicing all these things with all this information. Very few. Whereas in Milarepa's time, very few people had access. People had to travel far, far away and really, 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 really want the Dharma. You know, we, well, it fits my schedule. (laughs) Which is not to say, because this is our situation, right? So this is not said to guilt anyone, except to say, well, be realistic, how much you're going to immediately get out of hearing something, practicing something, because... It's not that easy. <laughs> so if we're realistic about how much yeah, we're going to be able to digest and to get and to experience, then we won't give up so easily. Uh, bit by bit is good. Yeah? You cannot force something to grow. Yeah? Whether that something is your own spiritual growth yeah? or a spiritual community that as much as I want this to grow, you cannot force it. In the Confucian stories, uh, there's a uh, Mencius, Mengzi, tells a story of this this farmer, this young farmer that ignorantly goes and helps his um, seedlings that he has planted to grow faster by pulling it up a little bit, every single one. <laughs> And then, of course, he killed all of them. Um, you can't. Yeah? So you just have to. You know, this much we're able to put in, we might get some. We might get some understanding. Some understanding. So it builds up over time. So here, yeah, we are entering this, this advice at the third part of this ongoing conversation, the ongoing guidance that Milarepa is giving Peldabum. So Milarepa here says, If meditating with the example of the sky is as easy as you say, clouds are just the sky's play, which is what, you know, the instruction that he gave her. And then she comes around and she says, Oh, it was easy. I was able to do that. And then she says, So stay within the depths of sky itself. So the first he said to her is like, you know, meditate with the example of the sky. And so she did that. And then when she came back and she said, but then there are lots of clouds. (laughs) Using that metaphor, right? So meaning, I have so many thoughts coming up. Then he says, stay within the depths of sky itself. Ignore the clouds or ignore with mindfulness. With mindfulness, understand the clouds arises within the sky. And that the clouds in some ways comes and goes. Not only that clouds comes and goes, but that in a way you could say, it's natural for the sky to have clouds. But the clouds are not, doesn't modify the sky. Yeah. So that you are not like trying to push away clouds. Let the clouds disperse of themselves. Sometimes the clouds will be so thick that you might suspect is the blue sky still back there? It says don't. Don't doubt. 
Even if you just remember the sky, when on a cloudy day like this, important to remember the sky. So stay within the depths of the sky itself, the, the deeper. If meditating with the example of sun and moon is as easy as you say, and so Milarepa also said to her, yeah, meditate like the sun and moon. Meaning bright, brilliant, right? Uh, example of brilliance in the daytime, which is the sun. Example of brilliance in the nighttime, which is the moon. Then she says, you know, but then there are these stars and planets, <laughs> kind of blinking around. He says, stars and planets are, but it's play, settled in the state of the sun and moon. The nice sky is going to have stars and planets. So is that distractions? Yeah, all of these are basically talking about distractions that arise. How do you relate to the distractions? If meditating with the example of the mountain is as easy as you say, so he says to her, you know, you should meditate like the mountain, meaning unmoving. Plants and trees are but its play. So stay right with the mountain itself. <laughs> so she came back and she said, yeah, I was meditating like a mountain. And then there's all these plants and trees and creepers and, you know, and kudzu. <laughs> then he says, you focus on the unmoving part. Then whatever wants to grow can grow. This is talking about don't create false enemies. The example I've used before, right? Kind of a greater sin than worshipping a false god is to fight, you know, false demons. <laughs> Which we often do. Right now, our afflictive emotions are really like demons. As Shantideva, you know, points out very clearly. Right now, our afflictive emotions are really like demons. But actually, they're not demons. So at the first level, you need to recognize how they are behaving like demons. And how you are under the control of these demons. Then, as your practice matures, you stop seeing them as demons. Yeah? And you begin to work with them. Work with them by transforming them. And then, on a more profound level, you have Gampopa's statement. The, the more concepts proliferate, the more Dharmakaya is present. It's, 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 it's not that afflictive emotions and things like that disappear so easily. It's that along the way, our ability to handle and to relate to them changes until they are finally purified. When they are purified, it's not as if that there is something to be removed. Right? Because in, in reality, they are just temporary obscurations of mistakes that have been illusorily conjured up by the, you know, by the uh, conjurer, which is our afflictive emotions as well. <laughs> our basic eye huh? grasping onto eye is the conjurer that conjured up all these things. And then he says, if meditating with the example of the ocean is as easy as you say, and then of course she said, but then there are lots of waves. 
Right? Here it says, waves are just the ocean's play. Settle within the depth of the ocean itself. Again, no need to say, stop, 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 all these waves. <laughs> but accept that waves are part of the ocean. And then within this ocean, there is a still point. Stay in that still point. Then waves can continue and it won't ruffle you. If meditating on your mind itself is as easy as you say. And so finally he gave that instruction, you know, just familiarize yourself with the mind. And she said, well, I can do that. But then there are lots of thoughts. That's when he says, thoughts are but your mind's play. So stay within the depth of mind itself, meaning nature of mind, rather than minds. Rather than getting dragged around by mind, whereas emotions, whereas feelings, all of that, penetrate to the level of nature of mind, essence of mind. The essence of mind is empty, and yet aware, and yet clear. And finally, it's all-pervading, we say. <coughs> all-pervasive. So this, this song is just part of a longer song. If we had the whole longer song, then you can see, kind of go through each section. But here, the, I think you can kind of get it. The thrust of it is like, don't get, you know, don't get so distracted, so thrown out of control, so bent out of shape with all these kind of surface level things. There is a deeper place. There is a depth that we should plumb. <coughs> and not that we should hide down there, but that when we have seen you know, what is down there, so to say, what is deeply there, then all of this is fine. Just like the clouds, they're fine. The waves and the oceans, they're fine. So right now, a lot of things that we don't like is not fine. But... Maturing in Dharma practice is not doesn't mean right that these things won't arise anymore. Even Buddha himself, right, was not beyond criticism. Lots of people disagreed with him. Lots of people criticized him. So it's not like when you become Buddha, those things disappear. People will continue. Due to their own karmas, their own projections, they will say or do whatever they will do. But what makes a Buddha a Buddha is that from the Buddha's side, that's fine. These are like waves. These are like clouds. These are like plants and trees. There is a, there is a deeper understanding and realization that, that is big enough, you could say, to contain all of this. To contain all of this. The last song in this collection is called The Three Ways of Being Content. And the language here, the symbols used, the language, the expressions, is a much more kind of Vajrayana in style. Yeah. So I bow down to my father Lamas, to my, in my body, this mandala of the victorious one, resides the deity indivisible from the heart of the Sugatas in all the three times, through the blessings of not clinging to sensory pleasures, day and night I make these offerings, content not to have anything outer to give. What is this body that we have? And so we have, you know, all kinds of ideas of what this body is. But if we are Vajrayana practitioners, then we need to really understand this body is the mandala of the Buddhas. Every aspect of our being 
is an aspect of this mandala, this divine palace. And within this mandala resides the deity, which is indivisible from the heart of the sugatas, of the Buddhas, of the three times, past, present, and future. No other Buddha to be found. And nowhere else can this Buddha be found, except within us, within this body. And so when we do not cling to sensory pleasures, just as I was explaining, the inner offering. So in Vajrayana, you don't have to block your experience of the senses. You don't have to categorically block them. Lock yourself in a room so that there's no beautiful things to see, there's no tempting things to smell, there's no you know, tempting taste to crave. No. In the Vajrayana way of practice, is you experience these sensory pleasures, but drop the clinging, drop the grasping. How do you do that? By offering your experience of pleasure day and night. Day and night. And that's why in Vajrayana, um, although in Milarepa's circumstances, of course he doesn't have you know, all these things. But there's another aspect of Vajrayana where brocades are not just culture. Hats are not just culture. <laughs> Robes are not just culture. But it's a method yeah, of relating to you could say the larger question of the larger issue of embodiment. That we are beings with bodies. Earlier levels of the training, we relate one way with the body because we're too obsessed with it. So in the Sutrayana, the body is said to be a skin bag with nine holes, oozing out yucky stuff. That life consists of uh, waste management. In between, we do other things. In between, we fall in love, we file divorces. Uh, but basically, from beginning to end, it's just uh, maintenance, waste maintenance, out of these nine holes oozing out stuff. So this advice that Milarepa gives here is given to people who already have a strong foundation in Sutrayana, understanding of the body. So you get rid of the gross clinging to the body. <coughs> the gross level of clinging to the body. But you cannot remain there, according to Vajrayana. Because if you remain there, then, then you already have a little bit of now, instead of attachment, you have aversion. So you first use sort of aversion therapy, basically. Because in Sutrayana, they talk about you meditate on rotting body. You know, monks do that. They go to the cemetery to look for bloated bodies to see how yucky it is. To kind of, you know, have its own aversion therapy without, you know, being electrocuted and all of that. But it's basically sort of that approach. But if you stop there, then you would be out of balance. You have to transcend. That. So the next point now here is, once you have some sort of freedom, once you have some sort of, you're no longer under the clutches of this kind of relating to the body, then you need to not be so tight and open up again. And now when pleasure is experienced through any of the senses, he says, offer them, offer them. Now offer them to the yidam that you are. Or offer them, if, if you are not so confident yet of yidam yourself, then offer them to your guru. And of course, if you are also not confident about the guru, then finish. No yidam, no guru, then cannot practice Vajrayana. So he's addressing this to people who practice Vajrayana. So we have to remember the context. Then he says, you know, him... He's content, even though on the external level, he is absolutely a vagabond with no nothing to offer. 
But he's saying, there's no need. I don't need. I don't need to offer those things. I don't need a shrine. I don't need an altar, all of that, because, you know, I, I, I can do it this other way. Because the whole point of having a shrine, having an altar, all of that is so that we do not cling to sensory pleasures, and day and night we are always making offerings. In the three realms, a self-arisen infinite palace, all six kinds of beings have the heart of the Sugata. That means Buddha nature. Through knowing it to be great primordial wisdom, everywhere I stay is an infinite palace. Everyone I accompany or everyone that I meet, everyone that I interact with is a deity. My mind's within the Dharma Dhatu, whatever I do, content not to have sacred symbols outside. And so he's saying, I don't need to live in a monastery. I don't need to have a temple. Because the monastery, the temple, the shrine, all of that uh, is to lead to this understanding, which is the three realms of existence, uh, meaning samsara, is actually spontaneously, innately, already uh, the infinite palace of the Buddhists. So everywhere I stay is an infinite palace. No matter where I go, no matter who I'm with, they're all deities because I am deity. So the story of, uh, you know, uh, Ananda, Buddha's, you know, again, um, loyal attendant and cousin. One day they arrived late in the town and nobody would give them food. Finally, they, as they were leaving the town on the outskirts, there was a horse breeder. So they went to his house to try to see if they can get some food. And the horse, the horse keeper, the horse breeder said, I don't have food for you, but I have some horse feed if you're really hungry. So the Buddha said, can we have some of that then? They must be really hungry at that point. So he said, oh, okay. Gave them a scoop full each into their bowls. And so they took it and then they walked away, sat down under the tree and started eating. Of course, Ananda was very unhappy at that point. <laughs> he was probably very patient, you know, until he couldn't take it anymore. He had a meltdown. So he had a meltdown. And so that necessitated, that necessitated, right, cleaned up on aisle four. So what was the clean up on aisle four? So he said to the Buddha, he said, you constantly tell about the pure lands of other Buddhas and how wonderful they are and this and that and this and that. You are a Buddha. Why is it that your land is thinking like this? Look around. It smells. Look at what we're eating. Like, why are we stuck here with you, basically, is what he's saying. <laughs> you know? So Buddha Shakyamuni said, Here, have some of my food took uh, you know and kind of rolled it into a ball which is how you know Indians kind of eat and he fed it to Ananda and it was the best food Ananda ever had so Ananda was shocked you know like what did he give you something else you know and then he said but he wasn't willing to just let go he, you know it's like and look at this place, look at this place, you know. We don't even have a proper place to sleep tonight. Then it said that the Buddha used his, one of his toe, big toe, to touch the ground. And from there, you know, this like golden light came out and kind of like peeled off, you know, this, all of this. And it was like an infinite palace. And then Buddha looked at Ananda and said, this is where I am. Where are you? 
So sometimes, you know, we long for something else somewhere else. Yeah, we threaten to move to New Zealand or Australia yeah. or Canada. It's movable to Canada now, uh, but for a time, Canada was also not movable to. There was a crazy <laughs> prime minister <laughs> in in the good Obama years. Well, good for some people, Obama years, right? In some people's views. Canada had a crazy prime minister. <laughs> now it's flipped, according to some people as well. We'll see. Anyway, uh, we miss, you know, the pure land that we are standing on, you know. It's not to say, it's not to say that, you know, just club over people's heads if they complain that this is not a pure land. It is actually saying, how do we uncover this for ourselves and for others as the pure land? So work has to be done. Yeah, work has to be done. So here it says, in the three realms, you know, everywhere I stay is an infinite palace. And everyone that I encounter is a deity. Then he continues, to outer appearances, these pages of diverse color applied the ink of great primordial wisdom to write the letters of the five sense faculties. Whatever arises, I know as Dharmakaya. <coughs> now content not to have books huh, with their letters in black. So Milarepa didn't have texts with him. And he says, I don't need texts because everything is written in nature already. Not nature, you know, as in, let's run away from New York City and go to, you know, <laughs> the Appalachian Mountains. As in, whatever it is that in our life experience, that, all the experiences of the five sense faculties are teaching us Dharma if we know what lessons to learn. All sentient beings of the three realms have this very heart of the Sugata, but do not realize its gall measure. By connecting with profound oral instructions, I attain the excellent samadhi of the three kayas indivisible. When the final hour of death has come, I will be glad. End of song, actually. All sentient beings of the three realms. So content not to have anything to give, content not to have any spiritual chachka, <laughs> content not to have any text. Carefree and liberated. Then he says, when the final hour of death comes, I will be glad. I will be fine. So we really need to achieve some measure of confidence before this comes, before death comes. Don't waste time. It's really very simple, isn't it? Yes. It's very simple, actually. And then if we keep saying, oh, it's easy to say, that, I find, is one of the, our biggest kind of way that we undermine ourselves. I understand where that's coming from, where we say, oh, it's easy to say but hard to do. But I think we use that so much that we really undermine giving ourselves a chance to say, no, try it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Yeah, don't, don't just quickly, you know, it's almost like each time we say these teachings, you know, and then immediately like you stamp, you put a label on it. Ah, easy to say. And then you, you kind of, you know, fall it away. But this, this is the game that Kamsara is, has figured out you know, to convince us, don't try it. Just say, oh, that's easy to say, hard to do, fall it away. So it's in the folder called easy to say, hard to do. Then we keep coming back to listen to these teachings, hoping that there is something that we could put in the file that says, 
you know? Oh, easy to say and easy to do. <laughs> but why do you why don't we just stop labeling it as easy to say, hard to do? Just do it. Because that's the only way. You know, rather than give excuses. I'm not talking at you. I'm, I'm saying it to myself too, you know. That we sometimes think, oh, oh yeah, that's easy to say. But you know, you need to have kind of this, this confidence, a little bit of this confidence and say, no, I can do it. Just do it. You know, like he said earlier, right? Be like the great lion, powerful and strong. Fake it first, right? Fake it first. Fake it, do it, you know, have some experience, then you gain some confidence. Then fake it, gain some confidence. Fake it, gain some confidence. Know when you need to push yourself. Know when you have come up against a brick wall. And know when you are coming up against a Japanese paper wall. <laughs> it's important to know the difference. Don't, don't, don't pretend that there is no difference. Huh? But even if it is a brick wall, it's not that it is not breachable. It just cannot be breached the way that you're going to breach the Japanese paper door, a paper wall. Yeah, but do know what you're coming up against. Right? But our samsaric behavior is always having that yellow, you know, strip. Danger, police line, do not cross. You know, each time we come up to something that we need to push a bit, we see that do not cross. Or I cannot. Yeah? Do not cross this line. Danger. But that's how samsara keeps itself in business. Because we would rather believe that warning sign. We would rather follow it away as, oh, easy to hear, hard to do, easy to do, hear, hard to do. <laughs> it's hard to love, but that's all you have, can do. You just love. This last line, when the final hour of death has come, I will be glad. Yeah, not glad like, yeah, I get to go to heaven now. <laughs> but like, it's okay. That's really not easy to say that. But that's what we are working towards. Without any regret. Without any regrets. Without any regrets, it's only possible if you have your priorities right. Otherwise, there's five bazillion regrets. I regret I never went to Tuscany, which I'm regretting still right now. <laughs> Listing my things, right? I regret I have not gone on Santiago, you know. So you have all sorts of regrets. If you have, don't have your priorities right, then when death comes, oh, they'll all be there. But if you have your priority right, then it's okay that, you know, I didn't go to Tuscany. <laughs> so the main thing we have to kind of hold and say, with regards to that, no more regrets. It's fine. There's a whole bunch of other things you could regret, you know. <laughs> but that's just having wrong priorities. So, thank you. Um, it's already five. So, let's do um, dedications and auspicious verses. But before that, to receive the four empowerments, even if it is briefly. Because that would be uh, the smallest unit of doing a practice session. This text is long, but if you know how to practice it, you can kind of grab different elements. Yeah? <coughs> And so, in fact, there are three mantra recitations in this text. Most practices only one mantra recitation, but it has three. So, 
Of course, if you could do all three, it's good. And many, many praises and many, many verses of praise and many, many offerings. But basically, if you really don't have time, yeah, which is our reality too, if we cannot make time, not that we don't have time, we all have 24 hours a day. Some of us figure out how to make more and some of us fill it with other things. That's all. So, um, the basic part is yourself appearing as divine. Guru appears in front. Make whatever offerings and praises to the Guru. Then recite the mantra, whichever of the mantra. Then at the end, receiving the four empowerments, which is on page 40. Receiving the blessings directly now. So I will read, you just listen. So that when I read, consider it as narrating what is happening now. And you try to be in that space for this to happen. Okay? So remember, in front of us is Milarepa, surrounded by all the gurus of the lineage. All the Idam deities, Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, Dakas, Dakinis. May our mind be ripened and liberated by the cotton-clad Venerable One and the assembly of deities of the Three Roots. As we thus supplicate, the retinue around Milarepa dissolves into Milarepa. And from Milarepa, white, Red, blue, and yellow light, rays of light emanate, which then dissolves into our four places. From the forehead, white light. From the throat, red light. From the heart, blue light. From the navel, yellow light. Dissolving into our four places. And in that way, we receive the four empowerments. Receiving these four empowerments, our four obscurations, obscurations of body, obscurations of speech, obscurations of mind, of heart-mind, and the most subtle types of obscurations are all purified, thus causing us to attain the four kayas. Thereafter, Milarepa melts into light and dissolves into you. And in this very state of great indivisible equality, all that appears and exists is simply the state of Mahamudra. And this is Mahamudra. Together we dedicate uh, the merit on page 41. As the conquerors and their heirs dedicated the virtues accumulated in the three times and the innately present virtue, I too follow in their steps and dedicate these virtues as means for attaining the great non-abiding awakening. In the clear sky of Dharmadhatu, may the bondage of all migratory beings, the snake's knot of ego fixation, unravel itself and attain the non-mentation innate co-emergence, the level of Dharmakaya Vajadhara. May Lord Mila, the embodiment of the compassion of all conquerors, be my guru throughout all of my lifetimes. May I pacify the obstacles on the supreme and ordinary paths, and from within the state of luminosity, may I liberate migratory beings. By the blessings of the root and lineage gurus, gather, may the blessings of the root and lineage gurus gather like a heap of clouds, removing the sorrows of the realms of existence. 
cities of the Iran deities shower like a perpetual rain, increasing the harvest of benefit and joy. May the activities of the Tarkinis flash swiftly like lightning, dispelling the darkness of obstacles by the Maras. May the might and power of the Dharmapalas shower like a rain of Vajra fire, annihilating the hostile army of misleaders. May the splendor of blessings of the drops of the elixir of the whispered lineage of Shepadurji, the crown jewel of hundreds of siddhas, shine brightly as the glory of the beings in the three realms, completely eliminating the darkness of samsara. completed uh, our program on the Milarepa songs. In the future, we'll do more of Milarepa songs and also, you know, this practice. Um, and as I say, you know, you can... It's, it's a very complete practice, but don't be intimidated by how long it is because you can extract sections and practice them bit by bit. Uh, so if you have interest in, you know, if chance, I don't know anyone, kind of feel a connection to this, you know, then come talk to me, you know, I, I will show you how to do this practice um, yourself, yeah? Mm, so then, um, upcoming programs, the most immediate one is our food drive and uh, ritual meal that is going to be on Saturday. Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.